Hello and welcome to Killer Serial Special Holiday Edition. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And uh, we are coming at you for a special December. Hey, Ryan, have you recovered from, uh, are, are you still having rectified dreams or? Sundays are, Sundays are hollow. I had some guy, because, you know, I said on the last episode, last episode, well, the last episode of this podcast, that, you know, was it, you asked, was it in the top five or top 10? And, and I didn't put it in my top five. I, and then I kind of said it was, it's really, uh, the more I think about it, I agree with myself that it's really, <laughs> it's really a thing unto itself. It's not like another You're your TV biggest show. fan. Yeah. What, 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 uh, anyway, I got some heat about that from one of our listeners on, uh, on the social medias. Yeah, you did. But yeah. I stood, I stood, you know, I, I'm my biggest supporter. So I, it's hard these myself. days. Yeah. It's hard these days. And that like, there's just so much so fast and we move from one thing to the next and it's, you know, I saw that exchange online. I was kind of got a laugh out of it, but it's such a matter of taste. And then yeah, also, I mean, how could we begin to know? Like, how could you begin? I mean, yeah. the the AFI top 100 film list, there's some problems with that. There's some problems. I just it, printed it, it out. It, I just, it holds. It holds, but there's some big problems. There weren't I so think. many films to choose from. Like, here's, here's it the ignores thing, for the large part foreign cinema, global cinema, as, yeah. as Mark Cousins would say. But, but, you know, other than that, if we look at it, it's kind of American film and there's some, there's some, you know, foreign films on there, but it kind of holds up because of the films that were available at the time in the decades of some of those films when they were released, those are good films where you rank them. But how could well, you possibly do something like that now? With okay. Th this is, this is almost exactly my point about even about rectify is, um, the AFI top 100 list, which I printed out recently because I was like saying to my kids, I wonder if we could watch through this whole thing. And we start looking through the list. It's like boring, boring. Like it, it, it's almost like there needs to be a top 10 list for each decade because it's hard to say like, oh, this Buster Keaton movie ranks with Apocalypse Now. I mean, that's so what I'm even saying about rectify is I wonder like since rectify happened, how much is TV moved on or moved in different directions and how much has the frenetic pacing of television amped up? Um, you know, we talked about that with Luke Kirby and the difference between rectify and marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel I just wonder, like, in its time period, Rectify surely is one of the top five shows in that era of five or ten years. But, like, does it... But, you know, but I would never put... Like, let's go back and go. I would never put um, Hill Street Blues up next to it because they're so different. But in, but in its era, Hill Street Blues was like, you don't... That was the best there was. I remember watching. That's a great. We're going to talk about crying, but I remember watching my dad cry while watching Hill Street Blues. That's how invested he was in those characters. That's a great. That's a 
a great point, I think. And Why, thank you. you probably would be better served to watch the 10 or five, five best films of each decade. Right. Um, and you could probably find many lists to kind of cross-reference and pick the five that you're going to watch. Yeah. Uh, some of those, when you think about like the, the scope and history of film, I like the fact that you're thinking about doing something like this. I watched the AFI list uh, the summer I moved here to LA as part of this program I was involved in. But uh, Mark Cousins, uh, and I can, we can post this too, uh, it uh, is a great film historian because rather than looking at the history of film as a Hollywood product, as a lot of these lists do, he really considers it from a global perspective. And so for him, the great films of those decades, maybe films that you've never heard of because history has been so focused on whatever Hollywood turned out that whatever Academy award right. nominated films came out that decade. And he's saying, no, what's going on in Africa in the seventies yeah. or what's going yeah. on in Japan and France and different places. And I think that's a more comprehensive look at cinema if yeah. you're going to take that kind of historic approach, but you know, you could also simply say, I'm going to look at the five best picture Oscar films yeah. each year, you know, not that yeah, those are the yeah, best films, right. but Hey, this is uh, it's interesting that we're talking about the films process that you may go through because we're kind of taking a shift here in this special episode. A couple of things are different. We're recording at nighttime. Yep. That's right. It's in the middle of the week and we're drinking whiskey because you have to drink some when you're talking about a film like this and the themes that are in it because we have to drink whiskey on this podcast or we would have to go to a therapist and talk about this <laughs> and film. we're and we happen to be drinking the same whiskey even though we're separated by 1500 miles and what we're drinking is a willet four-year single barrel rye mine is probably from I think I might have bought it six years ago and I have just a little bit left and yours is a recent acquisition. Mine is a recent acquisition. Thanks to your generosity. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, and it is an nice almost answer. full bottle. I think I'm on the third or fourth ounce. Yeah. We made a, we had a drink. Amy and I did when we first opened it. One ounce, one rock, baby. Yeah, that's right. And okay. uh, it's, it's delicious. Well, uh, this movie, you were or, you want to set it up. Dick Johnson is dead streaming on Netflix, which I twisted my my family. I, OK, I want to just set the context before you explain the movie, what the movie is. I hope that okay. people who are That's listening good. have watched it. But the context is uh, I had a big family dinner. Um, what did I make? I made something that everybody liked that they didn't think they would like. Oh, um, I made venison Wellington, which you can see on my Instagram, the Reverend Hunter. It was, oh, I'm, I'm eating dinner yet. I'm that's incredible. No, dude, it, it was insane. And then I used that as a way to coax everybody to stay afterward and watch a movie. And they're, you know, okay, this is what I like. This is what it's like with my kids of who are 20, 19 and 16. Hey, let's watch a movie together. What movie? Just just let's just watch a movie together. What's the movie? What's it about? What kind of movie is it? I don't know if I 
I, I don't really want to spend 90 minutes of my life watching something that I wouldn't like. I'm like, okay, it's a great movie. I'd like to watch it because it will give us something to talk about. Okay. What's it about? Uh, it's about, it's called Dick Johnson is dead. Oh, look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. So my kid looks it up. He's like, well, it does have a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> 100. Yeah. So I was like, okay. They're like, oh, it's a documentary. I'm like, so my mom stayed and watched my niece and her boyfriend stayed and watched all three. Of my kids watched and I watched with Courtney. So that was a big family. You watched we it with sat, your mom. We haven't, my mom was 76. So we can talk about her response to it, which is interesting. Um, so can I tell you, Yeah, I watched the film in a much different setting. Okay. My mom was here over Thanksgiving, safe, tri- safe trip. Everything worked out fine. Um, and it, it was the, I believe it was the day before she was set to fly back. Amy was at work, nothing going on here during quarantine. So let's watch this film. And it, so it's just me and my mom, uh, middle of the afternoon, no venice in Wellington. Uh, <laughs> and it, I think I'll come back to that in a minute, as you can okay. imagine, as you probably will too. Yeah. But we'll set it up real quick. So the film is uh, Dick Johnson is Dead, directed by Kirsten Johnson. And the film is basically about her staging her dying father's deaths over a course of about 90 minutes. And he uh, is been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And, and any other well, respect, he is, he's fairly- He is diagnosed during the course of the film. During the court, and I don't know if it's with I don't know if it's actually with Alzheimer's, but it's definitely he's dementia, like, memory so, loss, yeah, dementia, me, memory yeah. loss. But by all accounts, aside from that, a, a fairly healthy guy. Uh, yeah, it is huge personality, mid, very lively, mid eighties. Yeah, very um, you know th- with it uh, mentally, very engaged, right. very sharp, very funny. And as a way to, I think, process both her mother's death, yeah, which has happened. She died of Alzheimer's complications or uh, maybe some seven, years prior, maybe se- seven very, years, I think, before the film begins. It was the mother's death. In a death. very severe, I mean, a very tra- traumatic experience of, of, of basically being as disconnected from a family member prior to their death as you could be, right? I mean, she was mentally yeah. just just not there. Uh, it's processing that and also processing her father's aging and death. And she stages these comedic, uh, elaborate deaths. A, yeah. a trip and fall, he's uh, struck by a falling air conditioner, um, a whole host of things. You can watch the film and see for yourself, but as a way to think about, cope with, death and dying and that's kind of the 30,000 foot view of the film obviously right. there's so yeah. much more going on there but that's uh that's it and i think we could both say and we've talked about this before you and i have both lost our fathers not yep. not terribly long, long ago. ago yeah so i think it's you know we watch that with that lens but i guess maybe a first part to hear you talk about it a little bit is what do you make of this of this use of comedy to engage tragedy 
huh. or, 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 or a death, because in some cases death, and I, this is a part I want to come back to later, sometimes death isn't always tragic. And yeah, right. To, but the use of comedy here, the use of of actors to to enact uh, what is ultimately going to happen to all of us, as her father says repeatedly throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, I, I mean, I I think I, there's so many different little themes that I found interesting about this, and I, I I think you know, let's talk about the big meta theme, but let's clear the table of some of the other little themes that I I want to say were very effective for Kirsten Johnson in her storytelling. Um, one that you find out toward the end of the movie is that she's not necessarily telling the story in chronological order of the stuff that happens. So again, if you have not watched this movie, like we're going to have some spoilers and you should probably stop this podcast and watch the movie because it is fantastic and then come back and watch it. But for instance, the funeral, you know, you see the, the, the film opens with the funeral kind of practice play funeral and then it ends with a funeral and you think at least i thought it was his real actual funeral but then he shows him standing out in the narthex watching it through the yeah i did too and and i i gotta tell you like it tore me up that part but we'll get to that okay there's some other themes that are fascinating one it it becomes evident that kirsten johnson who's a, a very accomplished documentarian but mainly she's a camera operator for top end documentary films and she made an earlier documentary well regarded documentary called i think it's called cameraman or camera woman or something like that but she, you know okay so yeah. anyway and she has almost no video footage of her mother and part yeah, interesting you know that part of the reason she's making this film is to make amends for that what she's not going to let that happen with her father well there's there's one or two things that are are true there's either the video doesn't exist or she has some that just didn't fit into the film but well, I she think says right. it I think no she, she saw, said it yeah or she did yeah she did and there's but there is that sense of i'm going to capture this man yes because she says early in the film right i can't imagine yeah. And then man, the other right? thing is this move across country, which is kind of the pretext for the film is I'm going to document, like you said, I'm going to document my dad's death in these kind of farcical ways of dying, which become, they go from farcical to the last one was, is not funny. Cause he's standing by the mailbox pretending to, you know, with the blood coming gushing out after getting hit with the board. And he's like, it's, scary. Just, it's so he's scared and sad and cold. He said, this is the coldest I've ever been in my whole life. You know, the kind of thing that somebody who's got some dementia would say so they, and this suddenly, suddenly it's not funny. It's like pay. It goes from humor to pathos. Well, and it raises the question that all documentarians face is, is the ethics of, turning the camera on in the first place, right? Right. Yes. So, and then there's, yeah. So I was just going to say this move, which the more you learn about Dick Johnson and you see his frailty and his declining mental health, you realize that this, okay, here's, here's my big like ethical question too, is 
what why did Kirsten Johnson move her father across the country into a one bedroom apartment in New York City when his his church which is obviously extremely important to him Seventh Day Adventist by the way we had to pause the movie so I could explain to my kid what kids what Seventh Day Adventist That's is so good is. his best friend who speaks at his funeral his girlfriend we find out from high school right she moves him across country she doesn't move across country to be with him now she's got kids and an obviously complex co-parenting arrangement with two gay guys who are her co-parents with her twins who live in the apartment next door so she probably can't move but the more i watch the film what i'm saying ryan is that the more I realized how terribly traumatic this move to New York City was for this man. Now, maybe it was the only choice because he'd rather be with his daughter than with his best friend and his girlfriend and his church. But New York, to, to go from like suburban LA to New York. Seattle. or Oh, yeah. Sorry, Seattle. Right. Is like... I don't know, man. And he, you know, packing yeah, up that's his a office, question for you for packing the up his house, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, and but you do you? I somebody's brought that up to me. Uh, a couple of friends out here we had I recommended to, or they had watched, and that was one of their first questions. Was that's a bold move to 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 relocate this um, uh, ailing Ill, or or ailing man elderly man uh to such an extreme environment yeah but you know you do give leeway and i think you have to um or exception to that with the situation with her children um which is a is very difficult i couldn't imagine being put in that position but yeah that's a you wonder if in what ways that may have contributed to his oh by the way not illness. to not to make or, any maybe guesses or but, anything but I think from what I've read, it was a prearranged co-parenting situation for her giving birth to these twins and the co-parents are these gay guys. So I don't think it's, yeah. Yeah. Is that spec? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I should do more research. My assumption when I watched it was. No, based on what I read about her, I think it was, uh, it's an intentional co-parenting arrangement. Nonetheless, I think you're right. I, I I love that word that you used, extreme. New York, like living in Manhattan, that is a freaking extreme environment. Well, maybe they're in a borough, but whatever. Living in New York City in a one-bedroom apartment with your daughter and your two grandchildren, having been a successful... Even young psych- people. He, he was a successful psychiatrist in Seattle. He had his own office. He was obviously still practicing psych psychiatry until his mid 80s he had a beautiful home i mean really like courtney said when they were did you see that house yeah i I know you did but that is a cool house man that's what amy said yeah leaving the only house he's ever known etc etc i mean look i want to get to the obviously that the big theme of the movie is death but you and i both have moms who are widows my mom's in her late seventies. 
I live two blocks from her. I talk to her every day. I'm probably at her house every other day. One of my kids who's home from college is living in her basement. Like I'm very engaged with an, an elderly parent. And these, so for, for us Gen Xers, man, I mean, this movie isn't just about the kind of meta philosophical theme of death, but it's also very much about how do we manage our parents' uh, aging in front of us? Yeah, my, my situation is a little different. My mom's in Mississippi and she's in her early 60s. F knock wood, very good health. And uh, it was just interesting watching this with her and thinking about my dad's death because in some ways, and, and I may have said this to you before, I think his cancer diagnosis hit me harder than his death uh, in terms of grieving because he was diagnosed with kind of with a terminal illness. Like the doctor said, you know, we're, we can't cure this and we can treat it. You may have three years, you may have 10 years, you know, you may have longer. Every cancer is different patients. This doctor had patients who were 10 years on into their treatment. My dad didn't, didn't have that long. So the recognition that, you know, I always thought as a, as a younger person, given my dad's health, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a phone call in the history of illness in our family because I live away, because I'm not around the corner like you are from family. I was just always waiting for the phone call. Oh, your dad had a heart attack or something like that. And that there was going to be this kind of profound, but traditional grieving and, and this whole thing. And dad's diagnosis was that phone call, but we had him in fairly good health and certainly fairly uh, strong mental capacity for over three years, right around three years. And so that whole period of the weight of this person is still with us, but we know what's coming. Uh, and that was just different and a little bit like what Kirsten was going through in the film and looking back in the way that my father could talk about his death or his illness with some humor uh, and to be able to reflect on his life with gratitude in ways that I think Dick did in the film. Uh, it was just kind of an interesting thing to watch and to watch with my mom. And I think my mom and I talk about illness and death a lot different because I'm married to a pediatric intensive care nurse who, you know, sometimes violates HIPAA and tells me stories about patients at work. And to hear her talk about infant victims of sex and of physical abuse, that's tragic. <laughs> you know, an 80 or 80 something year old person dying is sad, but it's not tragic. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah. to have this film open up space for conversations about that and to be able to find humor in that and to talk about just the natural part of dying. Uh, I think this film is yeah. so rich for for things like that. Well, look, it, I mean, and not to, not not to get totally sidetracked on COVID, but it's it's also similar to a kind of bigger societal question we're having of, you know, people are saying, uh, you know, now we're, as we're recording this, 3000 Americans are dying every day of COVID and, you know, people are, well, more, more Americans are dying every, like we're having a nine 11 every day, 
But the fact is that a lot of the people who are dying are very elderly. And a hundred years ago, they would have already been dead because they're a lot of them are on, you know, have, have had surgeries or have had, you know, um, are taking medication every day that thins their blood so that they don't die of a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. I mean, you, you can go on and on down the list. And I remember my brother, who's a, a surgeon telling me, um, he said, pneumonia is the old person's best friend because you, you, you break your hip, you know, you're 90 years old, you break your hip, they take you into the hospital, you catch pneumonia and you die a very peaceful death. And he said, that's why, you know, a ton of people die of pneumonia every year, but it's really just nature's way of taking out the very, the very old. And, and of course, COVID is mainly killing older people. So it's, it's, not like a, it's not like, a, it's not like a nine 11 every day because nine 11 wiped people out. People in their twenties and thirties snuffed out lives full of, full of promise um, and COVID is doing that, you know, with some people, some, but, yeah, but yeah, some, but most people are not. And so, I mean, the, the, the thing I like about this movie is the majority of people in our society, in, in, in the West, in, in this world of advanced medicine and healthcare that we're in are like Dick Johnson, you know, like it, it, it will, you, I, I agree with you completely. It, it will, it is not a tragedy when an 86 year old man dies. It's sad. Of course you grieve you, you, and you, the love that Kirsten Johnson has for her father is palpable. Big. And it is big. love. She's like, he is my best friend, you know, it's and beautiful. it's so beautiful. It, it's incredible. And, and I love it. I love that part of the film um i i think that another great a- aspect of it i'm it's interesting that you say that about your mom my dad di- and about your dad and about him talking about you know humorously about the end of his life or whatever my dad can i say something not- about that can i say what? real quick yeah about yeah this? please sorry but but i i were just I remembered a story that feels like it could have been in this film. I, you know, I lived here in California all throughout his chemo and uh, obviously still do, but I'll never forget as long as I live, he was getting chemo in an, in October, one, one of those Octobers. And my sister would take him and pick him up. And he had gone into a Walgreens to pick up something and he bought a skeleton and he put it in the passenger seat of her car and took a picture and sent it to the family and said, I just finished my latest round of chemo. Oh I think they gosh. gave me too big of a dose. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. But your my dad, dad doesn't fight. Your dad was not that. My dad that would approach. not talk about death. I mean, in the abstract, but like when we got to the hospital, when he was very sick, uh, you know, he had a DNR, but he didn't want them to use it. He, you know, he didn't, he, he couldn't face the fact that he was dying. He never faced the fact that he was dying. Whereas with my mom who watched this movie with me and is in great health for a 76 year old lives in her own house, mows her own lawn, you know, drives a car, etc. Um, 
we do talk about death and it's been really good and healthy. And this movie even gave us another open door to talk about death. Um, we, we had a family How did your dinner. Mom respond to the film. She liked it. She, she really, the guy really reminded her of her father-in-law, my paternal grandfather. Um, so we didn't talk so much. She, here's what, here's what was interesting to me is that she said, I don't think I would tell most of my friends to watch that movie. See, and I thought she would say, Oh, we're all like this old guy. Like, let's watch this movie and talk about it. That was not her response. Her response instead was, I don't think most of my friends really want to talk about death. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, I, huh. I'll just say this, man. I wept through large portions of the movie. Really? Nobody else who was watching it did. I wept. Yeah. There were a couple of places that got me. Uh, and I think I was watching it in a, uh, you know, so probably not the right way to say it, like in of a cerebral mindset, maybe not, not so much emotional because I was interested too. in the conversations that the two of them were having about her mother or, and his, you know, his wife and her decline. And, you know, I said to my mom, you know, I was like, hopefully you'll never be around for this conversation. But I've told Amy on multiple accounts, if I reach that point, you know, you need to take me to Oregon and take care of business, Yeah, you know, uh, and that's a whole other conversation that when you talk about East and West and, you know, thinking about death, approaching death and all that kind of stuff and legality and ethics and all that kind of stuff that we're just, we just don't have, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, certainly don't have it health and, and a healthy perspective, but you know, he, they brought that up. Right. I mean, he says, I just don't think we have the right to do that. Right. And uh, I, I found that interesting as well. And I think probably attribute that some to his faith. Yes, I, that's that's what I thought. I, I have a I have a very close friend here who's Adventist, and he is the one that actually turned me onto the film. And that faith was a huge part of his life. There was some on an Adventist blog, a, a person had uh, written an article about the film and was commending the film for including that because you could see a version of this where that's just not an issue. Uh huh. But it was such a big part of his life, and people that knew him said, you know, this is this is who he was like this yeah, yeah. guy that's full of life and good humor. And, but, but for whom faith was a massive part of his daily life. Absolutely. You know um, what really tore me up and I guess we can close with is what closes the film and that's his funeral, which it's like a play acting funeral. You know, you hear about this. Sometimes people have it, it, it occasionally happens that a terminally, ill cancer patient who knows that their death is imminent will basically host their own funeral because he or she wants to be there. Dick Johnson's death is not imminent. And in fact, I can't tell looking on, like I can't tell by looking on the internet. I didn't do a super deep dive um, whether he is deceased or not. 
are still living, but when his friend is eulogizing him and just absolutely breaks down, it's like you can see the love between the two of them, these two best friends. All the more reason why it kind of tears my heart out that she, that the daughter moved him away from her. But um, I, man, uh, I don't I, think that, my wife that would react. It. I don't that, think Amy would react that way when I die. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, their relationship was so strong, and yeah, what a, what a, what a incredible. I mean, it kind of just a gift to watch yeah. uh, two, two such strong friends, and uh, you just imagine the life that they shared together and that friendship, yeah. and yeah, boy, it really comes out in that in that scene. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I just, I really loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I thought that the, I, I really liked the pacing of it. It didn't get bogged down in morbidities at all. And, and, and that kind of, I wondered there, there's this big song and dance number. That's kind of, I was just going to say that it pops up a few different places in the film. It's, it's mainly in one spot, but then there's little clips of it at other points too. I thought that that's cute and clever. Did it work? I I mean, I I don't know that it totally worked. It was supposed to be kind of like an an incarnation of of his Adventist view of heaven, where he's reunited with his wife and everything's cheery. And I love the dance sequence with the, which I yeah. just thought was a nod to the afterlife and yeah, uh, just also some levity and. Uh, because there are some, I mean, it's very serious. And like you, like we said, it raises some, some serious yeah. questions, but there are also moments of great joy uh, that I think celebrate who this man is and the love that, that, that Kirsten has for him. And that those dance sequences were great. I mean, a great way to kind of honor that rather than letting it just be so. Even more than that over the even, top thing though was i loved his chair his where can i get one that chair you know that they brought it was in his what office. is that chair that's a it's what's a, it's the, a fa- what's the name of that i don't know it's a famous it's a vintage chair it's classic chair, yeah he takes these naps in it you know he he puts his feet up on the ottoman and leans back and falls asleep with the newspaper across his chest or whatever just like my grandpa did um, and also he falls asleep in the most chaotic circumstances too, Yeah, when they're yeah. filming these big dance yeah. sequences yeah. and they're in a soundstage and everything's going on around him. And he's just like, you know what? Snap time. Right. Right. Yeah. So it was, I'm, I'm real. I, I lo- I'm glad I watched it. It was a great movie. I, I hope, you know, well, I'm guessing if people are listening to this pod that they've watched it too. And it's a kind of maybe an odd pick for us. We, we were looking for maybe a holiday movie to do in December, but you know what? We're dealing with a lot of death right now in our culture. And I'll tell you, man, you're not there yet, but I, ever since I turned 50, I think about death every single day. I read you the obituaries. There, I read the obituary. I, a friend of mine died last week of alcoholism. Another friend of mine died who graduated with me from high school and we had just gotten reconnected in the last 
year and we were texting a week before he committed suicide about getting together, you know? Um, Oh yeah. I remember you said that. And I knew another guy who I interviewed on my other podcast who committed suicide less than a month after I interviewed him on my podcast, same as age as me, you know, or year two younger than me. I just, I think about it all the time. And I, I, I love that. And there's a whole nother aspect, Ryan, that I could talk about, about how much I deal with death because of how much hunting I do that you and I can talk about another time. But anything that gets us talking about death in our culture, like legit talking about it, I'm all for. So I, all the more reason that I really like this film. Yeah, I love it. I highly recommend it. I think there are a couple of outlets who have listed as one of the best films of 2020. And I'd certainly put it in the top 20 for sure. Yeah. Um, But I'm with you. I think you have, you go through certain experiences or you reach a certain age and death changes for you. And I mean, for me, I have thought differently about death since losing my dad. And I'll think about it differently when my mom dies, when I no longer have parents. And uh, this film really is, I think, a gift for people at all stages of life who either need to think about it or are being forced to think about it differently. So yeah, watch it if you haven't watched it. Watch it, people. Have a great Netflix. holiday. If we don't talk to you again, Merry Enjoy Christmas, Happy bourbon. New Year, Happy Hanukkah. And, all those uh, wonderful things. Yeah. All right, buddy. Good to see you. We're doing this one by video, so we're actually looking at each other. We may have to keep doing this. It's a lot easier. I know you've been an advocate for it. Now we're just going on and on about shop talk. Thanks for listening to Killer Serials. (laughs) We will talk to you again real soon.